The Enneacast is sponsored in part by your Enneagram coach. Did you know that you can learn how to walk people through the Enneagram and see their lives transform right from the comfort of your own home while also making a great income? Find out how by going to yourenneagramcoach.com slash BEC. There you can become a certified coach and help others discover just who God made them to be. Again, that's yourenneagramcoach.com slash BEC. I think it's it's good to know how grief relates to different Enneagram styles because we'll better understand and show compassion when they are going through grief. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. And today, we're going to talk about the Enneagram and grief. You know, all of us, we endure very difficult and painful things throughout life. And not all of us respond to it the same way. Sometimes that has to do with the way that we perceive things or the way that our personality works. But other times, it's also because we don't even have the the language. Like, we don't even know how to talk about certain things. Yeah. Some of us come from families that don't know how to talk about it, or they, they talk too much about the wrong things, or they are concerned with doing things the right way. And so I think that the Enneagram is a really helpful tool. We're hoping that by discussing it through the lens of the Enneagram, that we can offer some categories and some hope and some ways forward uh, as we encounter problems that are just of great magnitude and, and situations or losses that are that take great impact in our life. Yeah. I think we, you know, could use some help on this. Yeah, and I could. So, <laughs> so, uh, so we've invited our, our friend James Santos to join us. Hey, James. Hey there. James is a corporate chaplain and a grief counselor. Uh, James has also served as a pastor. Uh, so James has been on the Enneacast before. He was actually our first interview all the way back in season one, uh, episode two. Uh, but then also he was a guest on the Love That Neighborhood podcast for our episode where the gospel meets the end of life. And the reason that, that we explored that with James is because throughout his career, throughout his ministry, James has done a lot of ministering to and sitting with people that are in periods of grief. And so so I guess, Sam, like, why don't you, why don't you start things off? What are you thinking about? Where should we start? Yeah, I would love to just explore what the definition of grief is as it relates to our conversation today. So James, can you kick us off and answer what is grief? Yeah. You know, a lot of people have asked, you know, what maybe a clear definition and it's, and I always say to people, it's, it's, I can describe it better than I can define it, right? Because it's such a broad term, but I'll do my best here. You know, again, when we think of of grief, um, it's always involving some type of loss. That's that's always the the description, the feeling. Another word that comes to mind is some sort of death. And again, uh, when I talk about grief, it doesn't necessarily mean a physical death or a physical loss. It's it's something that, again, happens within, and we feel the absence of it when, when it does happen. Yeah, because grief could come in the form, certainly, of loss, death, but it could also come in the form of loss of a dream, that there may be something that we always thought eventually in life we were going to have the opportunity to experience or obtain. And you know, we suddenly woke up one day and realized that we'll never have those things or that our life is not going to look the way that we thought it was going to look. And that's that's just as much grief as grief of losing somebody that we love. Um, why is grief important to address? You know, what happens, what happens if we don't address grief? I think a couple ways, you know, when, when there is unaddressed grief, you will find yourself stuck pretty quick. And you hear that a lot, you know, when I'm helping people uh, navigate through grief, the common experience that they share to me is, James, I just feel stuck. I feel that I can't even begin to see tomorrow. You know, things are showing up in my body. Why am I all of a sudden like getting like all these pains in my body and my chest? So it shows up even bodily. 
but it also shows up relationally, like we, we start finding ourselves isolating and impeding even just normal daily functions. So that's just a slew of that. When, when grief is not addressed, those are the things that, that surfaces. How do grief and the Enneagram relate to one another? Yeah, I mean, when we think of the Enneagram, it's a tool, right? It's a tool that helps us better understand who we are and how we tick. And so I do believe that if we are to understand, you know, who we are, but also the other, the, you know, the people that's in, in our lives, I think it's it's good to know how grief relates to different Enneagram styles because we'll better understand and show compassion when they are going through grief. Yeah, I think about my own story or my own family and, and how as a collective, you know, if my family experienced loss, how each person kind of grieves a different way. And I, th- I think that my one wing comes out pretty strongly when I grieve because I'm always wondering if I'm doing it right. <laughs> like uh, if I'm yeah. if I'm if I'm crying enough or if I'm helping others enough. And so I'm I'm so excited for our conversation today because I'm excited to hear how each type grieves and what each type can offer those that are grieving. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to pairing these two concepts together. Well, let's do this. Let's go type by type and talk through how each of the types relate to grief. Let's kick off with the heart triad. So twos, threes, and fours. Yeah. So my first question is just kind of like an overview of the heart triad. So we all know that they they struggle with shame and they have some similarities as it relates to disposition and motivation and, and stuff like that. So, but what are the kind of the core needs of this triad? Um, when I think of the, the heart triad, the core needs that I hear from them when they speak or share in their stories is usually revolving around affection or acceptance or belonging. And so, again, can you imagine when those things are lost, right, and they're absent, how that triggers and activates things in their life? So, yeah, affection, acceptance, and belonging are core needs, I think, within the heart triad. Well, uh, let's talk specifically about type twos. How, how does this type typically respond to grief? Yeah. So when loss happens uh, for a two, it's very easy for us to, again, get get very externally focused, right? Helping, supporting. And so twos are, are typically great caregivers when there is loss in sight, when loss is is around them. And that's where I think twos have to be very careful is over-exaggerating their, their strength to help to the point that they neglect their own um, needs and wants and desires and also self-care. But yeah, two, typically, um, the, how they deal with grief is usually by helping the other. Yeah, they even kind of console others that are trying to console them. Like I see that if you're at like a funeral or something, if we're talking about death, like those in line to comfort the two are being comforted by the two. Right. Yeah. In, in funeral services or in funeral homes, they're the ones who are grabbing the napkins, they're, you know, or tissue boxes or, you know, coats. I mean, you can usually see a two in the background by just the way they help when they're not even asked to, to help. Like they kind of have that intuitive sense, like I'm here to help bridge that loss. So I guess that kind of leads into my next question, which is what does this type do well in grief? Yeah, I mean, I think with twos, because they are such big helpers um, and supporters, I think being able to hold space that they are very intuitive of what what a person needs before they even ask, you know, because with grief, it's interesting how, you know, when we usually try to help people with grief, we usually say, hey, if whenever you need me, just call me. Well, you know, for a two, when they're healthy, they know exactly, you know, and, and I say exactly, but they know kind of a roundabout way to help, whether it's maybe mowing the lawn or getting groceries. But so when they step into it, how they do it well is they know just what en- enough to give to help that person maybe for that day or for that week. So they're very um, attuned to people's needs. If you had to give a piece of advice to a two who is going through a season of grief now, what would be your encouragement to them? What would you say to them? What do they need to do or be mindful of? Yeah. You know, the very first um, imagery that came to my mind as you asked that, Jesse, is um, first apply the oxygen mask on yourself before you apply it to others. That is probably my go-to because I will not be of help 
to others around me who are going through grief if I haven't applied that from, to myself. So that's, you know, doing self-care. That's asking, you know, the question, what, what do I need, even in the midst of meeting other people's needs, right? Am I doing too much? So it, it comes with this curiosity with our own self-care versus I think our default is what does other people need first? Yeah, 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 that's good. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's let's talk about type three. How do type threes typically respond to grief? Well, yeah, I mean, threes are your like go get them, check off checklists, you know, folks, right? And so I think you know when when a three tries to navigate through grief, they can just view it as something to check off. And so I think for, for threes, there's such like practical, like get it done efficiently during people that that's how they navigate through the grief is like, okay, just tell me what I need to do and I'll, I'll do it. Which can be challenging because there's almost a sense of, of dutifulness where there should be more expression or emotion. So I want to talk about what this type does well, because I think it's important, but what is, what are some of the dangers of dutifully checking off the grief box for the three? Yeah. Well, by dutifully just checking off the box, it really doesn't heal it, does it? I mean, it's just like putting a bandaid, right? It's, it's just saying, okay, I'll just give me what I need to do and I'll, I'll do what you say. I'll check off the box, but really there hasn't been any like really deep holding space work for that. And so, yeah, I think slowing down for threes, if they don't slow down, it may come back more painful in the future. Yeah. So, so what does this type do well? Yeah, I think, you know, kind of maybe similar, I know we'll get to the ones here. They're, they're very practical, right? They know kind of like, Hey, here's the steps to work through this. And I think that's the, the gift that threes can do is, practicality, uh, even pragmatically in ways to, to be able to say, okay, yeah, this is, it's not going to last forever, right? Like we're, we're, you know, we go through this and guess what? Grief is not going to last, you know, forever. So I think that's one of the things about threes is they, they can cast just vision of, you know, more hopeful future in ways, but they do it by also providing us great practical ways to get through that and, and, and feel supported, right? And feel motivated. And I mean, that's what threes give is they, they can motivate you and give you in ways kind of a, a more hopeful one, hopeful future through grief than one that maybe is, you know, feels stuck. So when it's done, when the three is healthy, they can really cast vision in a way that's, that's beautiful. I think that helps people persevere. Mm, that's good. If you had to give a piece of advice to a three who's experiencing grief, what would you give to them? Slow down. <laughs> it really, it's kind of very similar to a seven, right? Um, but in a different way. But it is, it's it's slowing down and say like, pay attention to, you know, what is and don't go faster or don't be tempted to to just check this off. Just slow down. Mm, that's good. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about type fours, as Sam would call us, the second best number on the Enneagram. <laughs> um, so how do type fours typically respond to grief? Yeah, fours, as you know this, Jesse, you all are more comfortable, right, when dealing with grief. It's really... Yeah, more, we are. Yeah, I mean, it's it's no, you know, say big deal. But yeah, I mean, you find yourself like this is, this is, yeah, this is what I experience in life in, in, in many ways, but yet um, very aware, very tuned to the depth of grief. And I mean, when I say depth of grief, I don't know of any number. And again, I've, I've found myself counseling and caring for fours a lot. I mean, you all really give us like the fullness and depth of grief in a way that I think it's beautiful. But again, the danger is, is getting stuck in it. Right. And and perpetually kind of like, uh, it's kind of, it becomes this feedback loop. So yeah, I mean, I think with, with fours, um, you all know how to feel it and, and in ways like help us get, give language to it, I think too, in a helpful way. Yeah. I think, um, if we back up for a second and, and think about Enneagram, not even in terms of types, but we think of them more as nine attributes, that I think that when people are grieving well, they're pulling from the four energy. I think that the four energy and the attributes that come with it, the expressiveness, 
the ability to sit in it, the ability to process and wade through it. I think that, you know, tears and mourning come kind of come out of that four energy. Yeah, I always I always like when we talk about fours because we we do give them kind of their their due diligence and and say like fours you give us a gift in your lament you give us a gift in your tears you give us a gift in your your longing because i think that so much of the life of the four they kind of have a sense of shame as it is as it relates to their feelings as, as it relates to their own sense of grief and their grieving silently kind of their whole lives um so i think when we shine the light on them and say like no this is a gift that you're giving and this is you're helping the rest of us grieve. So yeah, I I appreciate fours and particularly as it relates to my own story and my own grief. I think I've benefited from the emotionality of the four. If I can add to, so you, I like how you said it, Sam. So you lament longing. And I think another is, yeah, because in the longing, right, involves imagination. And that's the thing that I love about fours is they can lament well and also long, but they also, I think, provide for us a great imagination of what could be, which again, I think what fuels desire, isn't it, is both memory, but also imagination. And you have to have both, you know, to grow desire. And I think four is just, I think gives us that as gifts through grief, right? I think those are gifts. Yeah. If you had to give advice to fours, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I think it's, it's encouraging to say that your grief um, and what you feel about it doesn't have to last forever. Like with the help of friends, um, you can complete it. And when I say complete it, it's, it's more like a wave because I look at emotion or grief as like a wave. And when you ride that wave, it's going to land you on the beach. And so I always want to invite fours ride the wave with me because it's going to land in the beach. It's not going to be forever. This wave is not going to be forever. Yes. As a four, speaking on behalf of all fours, yes, it makes sense. (laughs) I I endorse that. Um, All right. Well, listen, stay with us because when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about the Enneagram and grief with James Santos as we make our way through both the head and the gut triad. So we'll be back in just a moment. The Enneacast is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood offers social justice internships supported by Christian community for young adults like Daniela Moeller from Indiana. LTN impacted my life at a crucial moment. I grew up in the church, but this was the first time I had really experienced full-time Christian community. I also had never been around other young Christians who were really dedicated to living out the gospel in their communities. It really showed me at a time when I was wondering what I wanted to do with my life, that no matter what I do, I can serve, I can love others in any role and in any place. Ready to see how Love Thy Neighborhood could impact your life? Learn more and apply at lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, welcome back to the Enneacast. I am Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Okay, we've been talking about grief and the Enneagram with James Santos. And so we're going to continue our way through. So we now come to the head triad. These are types five, six, and seven. James, tell us, I guess, about the core needs of this triad. Yeah, so core needs, when you think of the head triad, Uh, It's really what? About safety, right? It's also dealing with security and it's also being seen in ways, right? And so safety, security, being seen, I think is important for for the the head triad. Uh, Okay, so let's talk about fives in particular. So how do fives respond to grief? Yeah, so with fives, they're going to navigate through grief more from from a more logical, objective standpoint. They are more observers and they're gonna get the latest book on grief or what what's out there you know pertaining to grief articles blog posts you know so they're gonna study the heck out of grief to make them make them feel safe right so yeah they're, they're very logical in thinking through grief and are very objective in ways what what do fives do well in grief Yeah, I think with fives, the beauty of fives is they give us, again, the big picture. 
So one of the things that I know about grief is when it happens in our life, it can really narrow our focus, um, but also it can overwhelm us. And I think with fives, they just they give us the big picture, right? So they're able to hold space for us and say, yes, I, I see that. But also, let me give you another interpretation. Let me give you another viewpoint or another facet of, of looking at this. So that's, that's, the, that's the gift that fives can give. What does this type need to be mindful of? Yeah, because fives can be objective and logical and really can count on their intellect, they can lose sight of the emotion to it, that they can, they can be detached with their own grief. And so how to, to connect to their heart and not just look at grief as just, again, something that is just rational, right? But to include their bodies. So I always say with fives, don't navigate through grief just from head up or from neck up, but neck down, right? Include your body. Because I think one of the things that fives need to be invited is sometimes giving them categories like, oh, is that grief? Yeah, that's grief. Help. Thank you for, for pointing that out. Like I'm actually, yeah, there's tears forming on the side of my eye, right? Like, you know, so helping them slow down to say your emotions matter too, not just your intellect. Yeah, that's good. Let's talk about type sixes. So how do type sixes typically respond to grief? Yeah, you know, with, with sixes, again, because they're in, they're in the head triad, they have such a an attunement of what could happen, the what ifs, right? And so they give us this really large kind of headspace view of, yeah, all the particular things that can happen. You know, one of the things that's beautiful about sixes is their their state of preparedness, right? They're probably one of the most prepared, you know, Enneagram types because in anticipation of what can go wrong. And so I think with with sixes, they just know the the exits, the the escapes, and so and also how to navigate through this well. You know, I think that's the gift that sixes can give. Yeah, I almost wonder if sixes are almost with fours, kind of the least caught off guard by grief. Like they've already kind of imagined a world without certain people or certain promises or certain things, and so when those things happen, I wonder if sixes are kind of have a piece about about them in in ways that we wouldn't expect. Yeah. No, I think you're right, you know, Sam, in that because they, they do, they just see the big picture, you know, in the future, you know, so well and how to also be helpful for the common good, right? Because that's always in the minds of sixes is how to, you know, uh, help the common good around them, especially when there's grief. They know kind of what to offer and give. So what advice would you give to a six who's encountering grief? Yeah. You know, when you're when a six is going through grief, it's not just a question of what if, right? Because I think that's where I think sixes can get stuck pretty well. I mean, which I mean, you've heard say that with sixes they dress rehearse tragedy after tragedy, and and it's it's basically in service of answering the question, what if this happens, and so do I have a backup plan for that? Do I have something to meet that? And to be able to say like it doesn't have to be all just what ifs. You know, what about now? What about what's present, right? What can we um, focus on together in this present moment? What can we learn from this right now? So it's always bringing, I think, sixes to the present moment in a way that's, that's again, logical, that you can help them stay present, you know, and aware that there's more to life than just planning what the future, you know, will bring. But it's like, what's happening now? Where are you? Where do you find yourself? Okay, James, tell us about type sevens and how do they typically respond to grief? Yeah, type sevens, they are going to go into it with a more optimistic way, right? They're not going to sit too awfully long into grief. And they have a way, again, of sharing to you the bright side. So with sevens, again, they're, they're good in helping us not get stuck to grief, you know, in grief, um, but they'll again give us an alternative way of looking at it. But it's more, again, that's more positive and more bright. 
Yeah. Sort of that sense of like if they lost a loved one, they're like, well, I'm just glad they're not in pain anymore and they're with Jesus. Like that they moved to that. Or if they lost a job, it's, uh, well, I was thinking about moving on anyway and I'm excited for what's next. Yeah. They're good at silver lining things. But again, (laughs) I'm not saying silver lining is, you know, completely bad. But as again, it's just how much they do, which I mean, obviously that's a temptation, right? But that's where they have to also be careful. Mm Mm-hmm. What what do they do well in grief? Yeah, I think when when a seven is grieving, I think again, in some ways, if they've worked the lower, I call it the lower register of tears and sadness, it's unbelievably what joy they exude. And and so how I've have helped, you know, sevens is when you become familiar with that lower register, which is grief and sadness and loss, what it gives you is, I think, a fuller joy, right? Not versus like a surface, you know, joy that's just a veneer, you know, it's a, you know, it's, it's sort of a, sh- not a shallow temperamental joy yes. that's situational, yeah. but a joy that's, you know, resonates throughout circumstances. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, so what piece of advice would you give to, uh, to sevens? Kind of similar to a three in ways is, can you slow down enough to be present with your current sadness? And that may look like paying attention to your tears and allowing tears to come. Cause I've, I've walked alongside of sevens and you can see within them when tears start forming, they, they want to block it. They want to like, prevent it from happening. And I want to invite them to say, your tears really speak to to beauty and I think can give you fuller joy if you sit with it. So, slow down to pay attention to your tears and, and see what happens. I think, again, you, you get a fuller joy, a wholehearted joy. Yeah. Okay. So, that was the head triad. Now, we're going to move on to the gut triad. So, James, what are some of the core needs of, this, of the gut triad? Yeah. So, for the gut triad, it's it's really about power. Their needs revolve around power, control, and I would even say order, right? That's what they run with is, and also um, are wired in is, is power, control, and order. Okay, so let's, let's talk about eights specifically. How do eights typically respond to grief? Yeah, so with eights, because they're known at, for their strength and power, they are the people that will give their shoulders to cry on, right? There are the strong ones that will be right beside you because there's a strength in their presence where like it's it's solid, it's stable. Yeah, they're they're going to be the ones who when they walk into a funeral home or even in a funeral service, they they exude that strength and stability. So what is something that they need to be mindful of as it relates to grief? Yes, because of their power and strength, they can ignore their own grief because, again, I think they want to be there for others and they want to exude strength and power. And, you know, and grief, to be honest, is very vulnerable when you acknowledge it. And so I think eights have to be mindful that to acknowledge their grief, it's vulnerable, but that vulnerability, I think, leads to, to greater strength once again and greater power and stability. And so they need to be mindful that, you know, to also enter their grief, but in a way where uh, I think they're, they're aware that it's not weakness. Like, you know, acknowledging your grief is not weakness. It's actually strength and power and, and beauty, I do believe. So, James, you're saying that it's typical for eights to deny their grief? Or maybe not typical is not the right word. Maybe it's common for some eights to deny their grief? Yes, I think with eights, they can be prone to respond to grief, you know, if they're unhealthy to say, hey, don't cry, like tough it up, you know, or like that, which what, you know, happens is it's it's a way of, of denying or self-protection, isn't it, right, from experiencing more pain. But I think there's appropriate way where you give a hold space for that pain that it actually gives life if you, if you do it well. So when you are making space or holding space for grief, it, it is painful and it will produce the strength that I think if, otherwise, if you deny it, will, I think, backfire. And so I, I think giving themselves permission to say, you know what, it's, it's all right to hold space for your tears. 
Uh, okay, so tell us about nines. Yeah, nines. You know, in the way that nines um, respond to grief, they typically can show that this easygoing kind of like again, just because they have such a way of of blending and and kind of be, being behind the scenes, if, if you will, when in grief, but yet they're still attuned to offer peace, which that's who nines are, is peacemakers. And so when grief arises, they know with their presence to, you know, put a hand on a shoulder or, or listen well. So nines, I think with grief, uh, listen well. And uh, when they're healthy, they're also attuned to their own grief um, and losses. Yeah. I also think about like one of the dangers that nines might run into is that a nine, because nines are prone to falling asleep to themselves, that when a circumstance comes that really requires their grief to show up, to kind of not really pay attention to it, to sort of just live with a vagueness towards it. And what that allows in turn is that the grief can come and it can be so overwhelming that it can really knock the wind out of the nine in a really profound way that takes the nine an even longer time to figure a way out of. Like they really can get lost in it that they don't even really even understand. All They, they kind of know a general feeling of what's happening, but the specificity required to move through grief becomes elusive to them. Oh, yeah. I would say I was going to ask, like, do nines experience being overwhelmed by the moment or by grief? Because that has been my experience whenever I've suffered a loss of a family member or my own personal grieving my own story in some ways. It's just I'm overwhelmed by it. And I don't have, it's like I'm on, I have a boat, but I don't have anything to grab onto. I don't have like branches to grab onto. Like, it's just like I'm rushing through life and everything is kind of cascading around me, but I don't have any way forward or way, you know, to, to hold on. I don't have my bearings about me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, nines, yeah, how to invite them out from, you know, the mind-numbing or like the daydreaming, if you will, right? Because I think they have maybe kind of an idea, you know, but it's very elusive. And so, it's it's I think it's very helpful to help like nines get in touch with their body and to say, hey, when you express you know, the intensity of this sadness. Hey, where do you feel that uh, devastation in your body? It's like, oh, yeah, I feel that in my chest right now. It's like, huh, isn't that interesting? You know, and so, and I think being able to even say, hey, when, when a nine does express in tears, to be able to ask, what, what is my, my tears telling me? So, I think because nines are in the body triad, it's, it's good to use their body. And yet at the same time, they're, they're not aware of their body, right? But yet they're, they're so body oriented. So that's how I've helped nines a lot is go to your body. And if, if your body is, is hard to get to, um, describe the experience of your loss and that will help you too. So that's some things. Yeah. That's really helpful. Uh, well, what about type ones? Yeah, ones, again, very similar to threes, are, are very practical, pragmatic. And again, their lens is what's right and what's wrong. And so, when they do face uh, grief or pain and loss, they're going to think through it very practically and how to move through this in a way that's, that's, I think it's thorough. And if I do these practical things well it'll get me through my grief. That's how usually ones think of it. Yeah, yeah, it's an inter- it's a fascinating idea of like that we could even moralize our approach to grief. Like I was thinking about what you said earlier, mm-hmm. Sam, like am I grieving the right way? Yeah, I think like, about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they want to fix it, right? I mean, that's the thing. And I always encourage ones, yeah, grief is not particularly something that you actually fix. But I think what happens is when you give it the space it needs, it, it becomes integrated, just becomes part of your story. Because I always say, again, grief and love are two sides of the same coin. And as long as you're going to love, continue to love in this life, guess what? You'll, you'll all experience grief. But again, grief doesn't have to be a bad thing. It only, it basically highlights what you love in life. That's how I encourage ones. So, so what, what do ones do well during grief? Again, very similar to threes. They just, they know how to just practically step forward, right? They just have an uncanny way of just saying, okay, this is what I need to do. I need to see 
you know, a therapist or a grief counselor. Okay, I need to exercise. Okay, uh, you know, it's they, they just have such a beautiful way of practically stepping through. It's very pragmatic, but it's a pragmatism that leads to life and health and goodness, really, because that's the that's what they bring out, you know, in their Enneagram number is is goodness. And I think, too, just this conversation is just illuminating how different we all are and how we all grieve differently. And there's just ways that we that we process the world and the ways that we process conflict and grief that are related to our, our core Enneagram number. And so I'm thankful that we can kind of categorize grief in this helpful way for our listeners just to think about their own story or their own family members or friends that may be going through grief. I hope that this tool is a way to have a conversation with somebody that says, hey, I see you, I see your story, I see the way you grieve. And and there's there's grace for that, there's peace for that. And one of the most helpful quotes I think I've heard is by David Kessler, you know, Sam and Jesse, is that the worst loss is always yours. And I think the moment we try to compare our loss with the other person is that that's where it goes sideways. So again, I just really appreciate that because I think that's what the, the Enneagram highlights is it's it's your loss. And how to go about that is really the journey and the help of the Enneagram, I do believe. So this has been a pretty heavy conversation. I think it's now time for us to act like morons. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so when we come back, we're going to be playing I Know What You Need with James Santos. So stay with us. On today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring the topic of grief. One area that sometimes we have to grieve is related to our marital status. To explore this topic more, check out our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. And specifically, check out episode number 18, where the gospel meets singleness. Okay, I want you to set up a profile. I'm not going on a date with somebody. You would not go on a date. I probably wouldn't. You know, everyone tells you you have to be satisfied in Christ. You happily have Paul as your apostle, but you wouldn't have him as your pastor. I remember thinking this myself. I still want to know, as a single person, how can I be relationally satisfied? You can listen to the Love That Neighborhood podcast by listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. Or by heading over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Again, lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Welcome back to the Indiacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now it's time for I Know What You Need. Okay, James, here's how you play. You are going to be the customer. Sam and I each have a hand of cards with random things and words on them. We're going to pair these cards to make an item to sell you. But here's the catch. Each round, James, you are going to be given an Enneagram type as well as an occupation. Okay. So Sam and I must cater our items to fit that Enneagram number and that occupation. We're each going to pitch to you our amazing item and why we think you should buy it. You will then choose which item you would buy. Whoever wins the round gets a point. Best out of three wins. Are you all ready? Already. Okay. So for round one, you are an Enneagram type three. And Sam, what is the occupation? Fisherman. I I feel like they would own the fleet. Uh, <laughs> yes. Okay. Oh, I have such good ones for a fisherman. I do not. Okay, I'm going to go first. So James, as a type three fisherman who values efficiency and getting things done, the last thing that you want is to have to stop work to go use the restroom. Okay. And the last thing you would want is to have an accident in front of a customer, which is why I offer you the Rescue Potty. The Rescue Potty is a small portable device similar to underwear that allows you to work without ceasing to get the job done in which all of your unwanted unmentionables will be taken away. Uh... It's so efficient that you could be closing a sale with one of your customers while using the restroom, and they would know no different. <laughs> wow. So 
buy the rescue potty today. I don't like that at all. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically a diaper from the future. (laughs) That's the tagline. Tomorrow's diaper today. (laughs) Okay, we're just going to pretend like that didn't happen. And James, what I'm offering you is mosquito bait. Um, This doesn't, this might sound like you're having a bait to catch mosquitoes, but that's actually the opposite of what it is. Um, It's actually using mosquitoes as bait to catch fish because we all know that fish love mosquitoes. So we know that as you're a fish, you know, you're a type three, so you, you work really hard, but fishing is what you do to relax. And what better way to relax than with some mosquito bait? Only nine ninety nine. What better way to relax than with mosquito bait? That's yeah. your tagline. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna work on your three. Oh, okay, rescue potty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, okay, James, what's your which product will you be purchasing? Well, see, there's a thing. I hate mosquitoes, and that's usually what I face in um, in fishing. And so I have to go with Sam. Yes. Uh, Well, I hope you pee yourself. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Round two. You are the dreaded type nine. You're also a doctor, so congrats. A nine and a doctor. Yeah, you're a nine doctor. I'm going to let you go first this time. Okay. James, you're a doctor, and you work really hard, and... Similar to fishermen who sometimes need to relax, doctors also need to relax. And so I happen to know that you enjoy the outdoors. You are, in fact, a trail runner. And so I'm offering you the Peace Trail. Um, It's a subscription to a retreat center that has very peaceful trails um, that are custom just for you as the doctor. Um, I'm not going to tell you how much it costs because it's pretty expensive, uh, but... It's a peace trail, and I think that you'll really enjoy the great outdoors. Peace trail. Wow. Yeah. I still got the mosquito repellent from your last purchase. Yes, from my last one. Yep, <laughs> yep. That's how it works. <laughs> well, uh, James, the type 9 doctor, as you know, the lifestyle of a doctor can be incredibly demanding, quite exhausting. And so frequently you find yourself running out of energy, desperately wanting to take a nap, and to binge watch Netflix because you have so little energy. You're just sleepy, which is why you need the dragon cookie. What? The dragon cookie, the dragon cookie, one bite will give you energy for days. And that's days with a Z. You're going to be able to uh, do all the surgeries uh, that you need to. You can do three days worth of surgeries within one day. That's the guarantee of the dragon cookie. Hmm. Uh, the dragon cookie also makes you so intimidating to your coworkers uh, that they will sign off on all of your paperwork in a timely fashion so you do not have to, uh, to wait around for them. And when you walk in, patients are appropriately intimidated by your expertise. Uh, the dragon cookie makes you a formidable foe with high energy, ready to save lives and kick butt. <laughs> the dragon cookie. Dang, Jesse, that dragon cookie got me all excited. It's like, I'm going to buy that thing. I'm going to search for that on Amazon. So did, so did I win? Jesse you did. Yeah. Boom, oh, dragon cookie. Whatever. Dragon cookie. <laughs> Jesse's just a better salesman. The peace trail speaks for itself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, this time around, you're a type seven. And you are a dog. Okay. Type seven dog. And this is for the win. This yeah, because we're win. tied. You want me to go first? You ready to lose? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> go for it. Okay. So, type seven dog James. Yeah, what breed are you? What breed am I? Yeah. Ooh, I'm a Siberian Husky. Oh. Oh, okay. Okay. Serious. Yeah. So, uh, Siberian Husky seven James. Here's the deal. You like to have a good time. You like to play and have fun. You like adventure. And one of the things that you very much enjoy is pestering the cats in your neighborhood, which is why you need the kitten butt. (laughs) What? (laughs) The kitten butt is a costume for your rear end in which all the neighborhood cats, when seeing you from behind, will assume 
You are their king and their friend. And they will come up to you to hang out with you, only for you to turn around and for them to realize that they have a huge problem on their hands. Much to your entertainment, you can then chase them all day long by the kitten butt, where kittens will be the butt of your jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh man. So that was terrible. <laughs> Just kidding. It wasn't that bad. Okay. I That's I love how you talk trash and you're like, I feel slightly bad that yeah. I talked that bad. <laughs> um all right, James, I know a thing or two about dogs, and I know that dogs love treats. And I bet that you're like most dogs and you love treats too. So what I'm offering you is the bacon tummy. The bacon tummy is a device that straps around your belly. And you can be tickled and you get your belly rubbed while it feeds you bacon. It's like a, it has like an arm and it feeds you fresh, freshly cooked bacon or bacon treats because I'm not sure if bacon is good for dogs. Um, I will find that out before I patent this. The bacon tummy is only $14.99 and it fits. There's multiple sizes. So for the husky size, you probably have to get the large, but that's fine. Um, The bacon tummy is dual feeding you snacks and making you feel comfy while you get your belly rubbed so you can eat all the bacon you want. Oh, man. That's pretty good. That is really good. I love bacon, too. So, yeah, bacon, (laughs) Sam, yes, I'm sold. Yes, Uh, I won. Well, no kitten butt for you, James. (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations, Sam. Thank you. Yeah. I'll take you're my trophy. clearly the better schmoozer than I am. <laughs> I'll take it. All right. And now it's time for listener questions. So this question comes from Digmo412. I'm a very slow processor. Is that related to a certain Enneagram type? How might that factor into the way I experience grief? Yeah, and that that's a great question. And it just seems that there's some good awareness, self-awareness there. Um, you know, in, in hearing that question, I mean, I the two Enneagram numbers that I know of, they're more slow to process their grief. And again, it's it's giving them time, I think is probably fives and nines. Because they do, they they think through it, but learning how to process grief for themselves instead of for others, you know? And so I think, yeah, there's some good, good things that can come out if you process it slowly. But then again, just to be careful where you don't get stuck in it. Right. And so those are kind of the the ditches that, you know, one has to really be careful if, you know, you know, processing it slowly that, you know, we're um, maybe using, or, you know, or it's slow enough where you get stuck. But then I, I sometimes people use grief kind of as a victim card, like they're powerless and hopeless and helpless, right? And they just want to stay there. So just to be careful with that, that's kind of the ditches, I think, when when processing slow is that, is figuring out the pace of how to navigate grief. And, and again, I think that's why you need people to to help you, um, not just by yourself to figure it out or to help navigate through it. Okay. This next question is anonymous. How can you tell if someone is unhealthy in their grief? Should I try to help them if they are? Yeah, I think, I think to be mindful here is they first want, you know, you have to first discern if they want to be helped first um, before helping them. Because again, not everyone wants our help. And so that's where we have to discern is that, do they want our help first? So that's, I think, very important. Because, yeah, when you're going through unhealthy grief, how it shows up typically is it's impeding your day-to-day function. Um, that's one way. Another way is you see unhealthy grief come out is just avoiding life and, and isolating. And then, two, the duration, and I think even frequency intensity of those negative and physical um, effects of grief because it does show up on the body. And so um, that's kind of, again, markers when when grief is not processed in a healthy way. Those are the things that show up. Yeah, grief has no determined timeline uh, in terms of the pace that it moves. And so I think that the lie that we tell ourselves with grief is I'll share this with others when I figure it out. 
And that's not how grief works. Because that's saying, I'll share this when I find the answer. And sometimes there's no answer. Mm -hmm. And the closest answer we have is in a relationship, in our relationship with Jesus and in our relationship with other people. And that by giving language and expression to the things we're feeling, it doesn't necessarily resolve all of our questions but we do find uh, a large portion of that answer just in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so this notion that I'm going to logically figure it out or I'm going to get a grip on my emotions first and then I'll share, um, that, that's just not how grief works. It has, to be, it has to be explored in community. Yeah. And I always say, you know, grief in the way that I've seen it is needs to be witnessed, seen, and known. That's how it's healed. It cannot happen in isolation. Actually, it was worse, I do think. So I do. I say, you know, grief, it has this invitation where it has to be witnessed and no better way. And that's why I think Jesus is, is so great in this and saying he is the man of sorrows acquainted with our grief because there's one person that knows our grief well, it's him. And he's wit- he's not only experienced it, but he's he's witnessing it with us when it happened. So grief need need, need a witness, basically. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, James, thanks for joining us, man. We really appreciate this. Yeah, appreciate y'all, you know, yeah, holding space and giving me the opportunity to, to contribute on this, uh, I think, important topic. Thanks to our special guest today, James Santos. Uh, To learn more about James's work in counseling and care, you want to head over to Facebook and you want to search for Cornerstone Care. There you can learn more about the services that James and his wife Tara both offer. As always, we want to say thank you to our friends at Crosspoint Ministry who trained us in the Enneagram. You can learn more about their work at crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Come serve with us for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by The Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Mm-hmm.